Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Camp Constitution Radio with your host, Hal Shirtliff. The show is heard on WBCQ The Planet every Tuesday and Friday evenings at 7.30 p.m., I think. I might have changed it. But anyway, you can also pick it up on our Podomatic channel, automatic.com, and just put in Camp Constitution and our YouTube channel. We tend to upload most of the shows and uh, YouTube, just again, Camp Constitution. It is brought to you by campconstitution.net and Camp Constitution, among all things, runs a week-long family camp, which we certainly hope will not be uh, canceled. It will be held from July 19th to the 24th in the beautiful Singing Hills Christian Camp and Conference Center in Plainfield, New Hampshire, just about an hour north of Concord, New Hampshire. And uh, to learn more, just visit our website, campconstitution.net. Um, now, I'm going to be talking about the coronavirus virus like everybody else is, but I'm going to add a little, you know, maybe a little hope and maybe some positive things that may come out of this. Now, here, living in Boston, in the People's Republic of Massachusetts, our governor, our Republican uh, leftist governor, has just about shut everything down. The schools are closed for at least two weeks, if not more. Uh, restaurants uh, can no longer serve meals. It has to be takeout or delivery. Uh, no, more, no gatherings of 25 or more unless it's at a supermarket. That's not really a gathering. It's just where people go and buy stuff. They're not assembling there necessarily. Uh, I think, and right now, I think there's about 150 cases. Nobody has died of the virus, as far as I know, in Massachusetts. Uh, and it's, these things have been replicated all over the country. Um, and of course, it affects everybody, my family. Uh, my wife has a daycare business. It's a small in-house daycare business, and uh, today there's just one, um, one parent, a son, their child here. Uh, what else is going on? My, uh, my daughter, uh, one of my girls, flew in from uh, Liberty University the other day, and she may not be able to fly back. That means we're going to have to drive her down. So all kinds of disruptions over something that is definitely serious when people die of a disease. It's serious. It's something that we should not take lightly, of course. But does it justify this awful overreach, this panicking? Uh, although I have to say, living in Boston, I went to the supermarkets the last several days. Uh, I did buy a batch of toilet paper before there was a shortage, so we're probably going to be all set. When I say a batch, I just bought an extra 20 packets. not like I bought 20, 20 packs and hoarding it and all that. So, uh, in fact, there is no real shortage of things. Uh, there's not like the toilet paper industry has shut down. It's just that uh, you go and usually buy a one pack. Uh, instead of buy a one pack or, depending on the size of your family, you buy three and that's what causes the shortages, and everybody does that. The shelves will be bare pretty soon. So one of the positive things that may come out of this is just for people to think being prepared for the uncertain times. 
I know that uh, Mormons tend to are supposed to have a six month supply of food on hand, food and other supplies, and not all of uh, them do that. Uh, and some of them, you know, some of the more liberal sided kind of poo poo or not ashamed of it. But and the preppers, you know, are our friends who are. Uh, and the problem with being a prepper is that um, a lot of times the food has to go bad. You know, you have to rotate it and eat. And I have some prepper friends you know, that will eat some of their stuff uh, that they're putting aside because they don't want it to go bad. But nobody's laughing at preppers today because they're not running to the supermarkets. They already have the stuff. <laughs> they have what they need. And most of them are good. The ones that I know have a, a Christian worldview and will be glad to share their uh, their abundance, so to speak, with those who don't have it. So my hat's off to them. Uh, I, I was, uh, there was a used to be a Army and Navy store in Augusta, Maine. I think it was called Top Kick. Uh, uh, and the owner told me that he, he usually hears about events, catastrophic events, a week before they're announced because the preppers come in and start buying stuff. So he says, I get my, I get my information a week before the average person does, just working with uh, dealing with preppers. So um, also, because the schools are shut down, guess what's happening? they are going to be having online courses. Now, public schools are going to have the same nasty stuff that they teach their children online, but it gets people thinking, wait a minute now, if we can have quality education online, why do we have to spend millions and millions of dollars on these big buildings uh, you know, and putting children on buses? That's unsustainable. Yes, we got to put them in these big buildings in mind. We have to heat. We can't heat with uh, solar panels exclusively and wind turbines. We have to use those nasty fossil fuels that are killing us, choking us out of existence. Maybe homeschooling is the way to go. Yeah, that might be interesting. Yes, I know. Some parents aren't able to do it. My question is, uh, why not? You bring children into the world, and your major job is to raise them the admonition admonition of the lord um and you dump your children off to people who don't even who are atheists who people who hate what you stand for you gotta scratch your head and say what's wrong with these folks you know the average parent wouldn't go to the worst doctor and say i i'm saving money this doctor is kicked out of medical school after the second year and doesn't have a license but hey he, he's cheap so i'm gonna no no parent that i know of would do that or no parent would say, well, I'm going to the restaurant that uh, has poisoned, have people have died of uh, food poisoning here. But hey, you know, hamburger is only two bucks. I can save a few dollars. No parent's going to do that. But when it comes to public education, they set up to the worst possible places. It, it, it just amazes me. But maybe this will be kind of a wake-up call. I was listening to uh, a local talk show here, Jeff Cooner. He's the I think second most popular conservative, maybe the most, second most popular radio show host in greater Boston, if not New England. And he's a good conservative guy, but he's saying, what are you going to do with the kids at home? Oh, my goodness, it's going to drive us crazy. You know, we've got to be teachers, too. I said, I'm thinking, absolutely. In fact, being a provider, teaching is part of that. So it's this, it's this thought process that has to change, and maybe this will help, too. This will make, help that. And, you know, my, one of my girls is all anxious, and, you know, the Bible's clear on that, be anxious for nothing. So this might be a t time when people will turn to God. You know, people are looking for, uh, you know, what's the purpose of life? What's going on? Why? You know, hey, you know, there is a God in heaven, and we don't know. Uh, I'm not saying this is happening. It's God's judgment. I'm not saying that. Some people may be saying that. 
but I know that when the things of these events like this happen, people do turn to God. I know 9-11, September 11th, 2011, I flew out of Boston's Logan Airport, same airport where a few of the planes were, uh, were taken over, same terminal, and about the same time, I think it was about an hour later, and I get to my was supposed to get to Columbus, Ohio. Change out. Uh, I flew into uh, Fort Wayne, Wayne County Airport in um, Michigan, right, right outside of Detroit. And my colleague had to uh, drive from Columbus to get me. And we spent a week in uh, Ohio, mostly Western Pennsylvania. Every single church was full. American flags everywhere. Not one UN flag was being flown. All American flags. People going to church, churches that are usually closed, except for Wednesday night, maybe, and Sunday morning, were full of people. People are looking, they were, they were praying. And uh, so sometimes calamities, good things can happen, and, and uh, good things can come out of bad. And, and the Bible talks about uh, that, you know, that, that things may happen, but uh, things work out for God. Everything has a purpose. We don't always understand what that purpose is. But everything has a purpose, and and I think it's time for us not to panic. Um, I I believe I've spoken to some people who are experts in the field. We just hosted a Dr. Shiva Ayadora, who explained how these viruses work and how the immune system is so important, and the reason why older people get the um, the coronavirus. Uh, 50, late 50s, 60s, and 70s, people who are diabetics, people who are alcoholics, uh, and other elements like that, their immune systems have been have been run down. And he said uh, vitamin A, vitamin D, and things like that would be a, go a long way. And it's interesting, I went to the grocery store and I couldn't find any carrots. You know, that's a great source of vitamin A, especially uh, juicing them. I don't know if the average person was doing that because they wanted to juice carrots, but who knows? Um, so maybe again another good thing to come out of this is the need for healthy eating and nutrition. Now you don't have to go crazy and just eat grains and you know uh, grain, grains and uh, things of that nature. But p- people can now start thinking hey, maybe I should eat a little healthy. But you know many times so when there's a national emergency or calamity, people are all unified and then it passes and we go back to business. Uh, that seems to be the way things are and the way it has. But maybe this will, this will be different. I um, also uh, was very pleased to see uh, an article in a uh, publication dealing with the coronavirus and reusable grocery bags. Now, um, I've, I've given, uh, I spoke about this issue, these uh, plastic bag bans where people are, uh, or cities and towns all over the country are banning the use of plastic bags in supermarkets. And what makes it worse is that most cities are forcing the grocery stores to sell paper bags, not give them away. In other words, you spend $100 in groceries, and most grocery items are small, and you've got to put them in a bag. It's a courtesy. And, of course, you know, in the free market world, nothing is free, that the cost of the paper bag is kind of rolled in. I think people know that. That's the way it should be. I mean, I go to a grocery store. It's usually heated in the wintertime, and it's air-conditioned in the summertime. I pay for that when I buy my cold cuts and buy my carrots and buy whatever I buy. I know that I'm paying, I'm paying for the people that are checking me out. I'm paying for the person that's stocking it. All that goes into the price of the good. Most people maybe don't understand that, but I mean, I think it should be a no-brainer.
and the grocery store has to make a profit. They're not doing it for because they love me so much. I'm sure the local clerks uh, get along with them and the manager, nice people, but and they're there to make a living so they can feed their families. You see, that's how it works. That's how the free market, uh, even though we have a highly regulated market, that's how it works. So, uh, but many cities and towns over the last four or five years uh, have been adopting the Agenda 21 policies. And in lieu of the plastic bags, they're encouraging you to buy these, uh, they call them reusable bags. And um, there was a good article just came out uh, four days ago, March 12th, in the uh, City Journal. Uh, I think um, John Tierney is with the Manhattan Institute. I actually emailed him asking him if we could run his letter, I mean his article on our blog. But I'm going to share some of it. It's not that long. The COVID-19 outbreak is giving new meaning to those sustainable, in quotation marks, shopping bags the politicians and environmentalists have been so eager to impose on the public. These reusable tote bags can sustain the COVID-19 and flu viruses and spread the viruses throughout the store. Researchers have been warning for years about the risk of these bags spreading deadly viral and bacterial diseases, but public officials have ignored their concerns, determined to eliminate single-use bags and other plastic products despite their obvious advantages in reducing the spread of pathogens. In New York State, a new law took effect this month banning single-use plastic bags in most retail businesses. And this week, Democrat state legislators advanced a bill that would force coffee shops to accept consumers' reusable cups, a practice that Starbucks and other chains have wisely suspended to avoid this COVID-19 virus. John Flanagan, the Republican leader of the New York State Senate, has criticized the new legislation and called for a suspension of law banning plastic bags. Senate Democrats' desperate need to be green is unclean during this coronavirus outbreak, he said Tuesday. But so far, he's been a lonely voice among public officials. The COVID-19 virus is just one of the many pathogens that shoppers can spread unless they wash the bags regularly, which few people bother to do. Viruses and bacteria can survive in the tote bags up to nine days, according to one study of coronaviruses. The risk of spreading viruses was clearly demonstrated in a 2018 study published in the Journal of Environmental Health. The research is led by Ryan Sinclair of the Loma Linda University School of Public Health, sent shoppers into three California grocery stores carrying polypropylene bag, tote bags, plastic tote bags that had been sprayed with a harmless surrogate of a virus. After the shoppers bought groceries and checked out, the researchers found sufficiently high traces of the surrogate to risk transmission on the hands of the shoppers and checkout clerks, as well as on many services touched by the shoppers, including packaged food, unpackaged produce, shopping carts, checkout counters, and the touch screens used to pay for groceries. The researchers said that the results warranted the adoption of in-store hand hygiene and surface disinfection by merchants as and they also recommended educating shoppers to wash their bags. An earlier study of supermarkets in Arizona and California found large numbers of bacteria in almost all reusable bags and no contamination in any of the new single-use plastic bags. And I, by the way, that single-use should be in quotation marks because I mean, maybe some people use them for one time. Our household doesn't, and I know lots of people. We use them for a lot of things. Let me continue. So, when a bag with meat juice on the interior was stored in the trunk of a car, within two hours, the number of bacteria multiplied tenfold. The researchers also found that the vast majority of shoppers never followed the advice to wash their bags. 
One of the researchers, Charles Gerba, of the University of Arizona said that the findings suggest a serious threat to public health, particularly from fecal chloroform bacteria, which was found in half of these bags. These bacteria and other pathogens can be transferred from raw meat in the bag and also from other sources. An outbreak of viral gastroenteritis among a girl's soccer team in Oregon was traced to a reusable grocery bag that had sat on the floor of the hotel bathroom. In a 2012 study, researchers analyzed the effects of San Francisco's ban on single-use plastic grocery bags by comparing emergency room admissions in the city against those of nearby counties without the bag ban. The researchers, Jonathan Click of the University of Pennsylvania and Joshua Wright of George Mason University, reported a 25% increase in bacteria-related illnesses and deaths in San Francisco relative to the other counties. The city's Department of Public Health disputed the findings and methodology, but acknowledged that the idea that widespread use of reusable bags may cause gastrointestinal infections if they are not regularly cleaned is plausible. So here they are saying, we don't agree with your findings, but maybe your findings are accurate. New York State's officials were told of this risk before they passed the law, banning plastic bags. In fact, as the Kings County uh, politics website reported a Brooklyn activist, Alan Moses, warned that shoppers in New York City could be particularly vulnerable because they often rest their bags on the floors of subway cars containing potential deadly bacteria from rats and then set the bag on the supermarket checkout counter. Yet public officials remain committed to reusable bags. The headline on the website of the New York Department of Health calls reusable grocery bags a smart choice. Bizarre advice considering all the elaborate cautions underneath the headline. The department advises grocery shoppers to segregate different foods in different bags to package meat and fish and poultry in small disposable, disposable plastic bags inside their tote bags, to wash and dry their tote bags carefully, to store the tote bags in a cool, dry place, and never to reuse the grocery tote bags for anything but food. How could that possibly be a smart choice, in quotation marks, for public health? Anyone who has studied consumer behavior knows that it's hopelessly unrealistic to expect people to follow up those steps. If the Department of Health actually prioritized public health, they would acknowledge what food manufacturers and grocers have known for decades. Disposable plastic is the cheapest, simplest, and safest way to prevent foodborne illnesses. Instead, leaders in New York and other states are ordering shoppers to make a more expensive, inconvenient, and risky choice, all to serve a green agenda that's actually harmful to the environment. The ban on plastic bags will mean more trash in landfills because paper bags take up so much more space than the thin disposable bags and more greenhouse emissions because of the larger carbon footprint of the replacement bags. And now probably it will also mean more people coming down with COVID-19 and other illnesses. And this article, John Tierney is a contributing editor of City Journal and a contributing science columnist for the New York Times. New York Times allows this guy to have an article? Oh, my goodness. So uh, you can find this at the www.city-journal.org, and that's where his article, John, John Tierney, March 12th. And what I'll do is um, I'll, I'm going to post this on Camp Constitution's Facebook page, and hopefully I'll get the permission to run it on our blog. Um, and I'm usually pretty good about that. So uh, here you have it. Here's an example of... Um, Maybe something good will come out of this. Maybe people will get the the memo realizing that, hey, these uh, bans on plastic bags are not such a great idea. 
um, hopefully that will work. The other good thing about it is now we've got, you know, people are in their homes, so they're going out, but they're not going out to restaurants. So not all the sporting events have been canceled. And my, my goodness, we still survive. We're still here. No basketball tournaments, no, uh, no baseball games. My goodness, what are we going to do? Maybe we could get to know our family members a little better. Spend a little more time. Maybe we can go to the, well, can we go to the park anymore as long as it's not 20? Uh, I guess you can't have a baseball game because there's more than, uh, should be with a coach and uh, equipment managers, more than 25 people, right, with the two teams. But you can go out there and play catch. You can go out there and uh, take a walk. In fact, my, two of my girls took a hike up uh, Blue Hills, which is here about four, uh, five, six miles from the house. They said they've never seen so many people hiking on a Sunday afternoon. Men with their families instead of sitting around drinking beer and watching baseball games. And by the way, I don't have a problem with people watching a game here and there. It's just the obsession we have. But what about those books that people have bought over the years that sit on the bookshelf unread? Huh? Maybe we have a little more time to read. And what's interesting, uh, Camp Constitution does have an um, Amazon account. We sell many books on there. It help uh, keep me in the field and help keep our mission going, keep this radio show on the air, et cetera. I haven't had an order in about three or four days. But on our Facebook, my personal Facebook page, I do post books, and, uh, it's, uh, and people have been buying them. And what I do is I'll just ask uh, for a donation uh, towards Camp Constitution, and many times uh, we get much more than the book is worth uh, because people know they're helping us out. So there was one one set of books, um, and it, it, it's called the Biographical Dictionary of the Left, and it was it was published by Western Islands, which was an arm of the John Birch Society. That Western Islands does no longer exist. It's, they still still publish books, but it's under a different uh, name. Um, so uh, <clears throat> it was the other day, my friend with the Super Happy Fun America, the Straight Pride people, uh, John Hugo. He's the president of the group. And he told me about the National Lawyers Guild, which is having a meeting, uh, some type of convention. Oh, they plan to have a convention. They'll probably have to cancel it now. In uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts, which, of course, is a good place for far leftists to meet because the place is full of far leftists. And he said, are you familiar with them? I said, oh, yeah. So uh, I would happen to be in a, uh, our learning center where we have a, a, a several sets of this full volume. And I pulled it out. And this was written by Francis Xavier Gannon. He was the research director at that time. And it won, 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 uh, there was one um, book every year. So four volumes. It took four years to publish them all. But, um, and he says that there is, a, there is a left in America. This is a fact of life. To deny it is to deny the existence of far-flung establishment whose members have been working tirelessly for decades to socialize, or if you please, Sovietize the United States. So what this has is it lists uh, various far-left groups and also far-leftists. Some of the leftists at the time this was published have, were deceased, but for historical purposes, uh, of course, today, there aren't too many of them alive. But John Kerry was mentioned in here and because he's still very much alive. So it's a, it's a rich history and things like this. We, I had a couple of sets on my Amazon and hadn't sold in like eight years. I sold two sets. To the same person, like in 2012, and not one since. But I was talking about this, and I put some up on our Facebook page, and my goodness, I got a lot of people that would like it. 
I, I think someone said we should update it. Now, updating something like this is a monumental task because of all the players uh, that are around today. Um, but Trevor, uh, Trevor Loudon has done a relatively good job with that. You know, he's come out with these types of nothing as comprehensive as this, but still some good stuff to learn about the leftist groups. And a lot of leftist groups have come and gone. Sometimes they change their name. And some have been around for a long time and are still very, um, still very current. Now, in this, in volume one, so what, what he's done, what, um, what the researcher did, uh, Francis Gannon, is he would take uh, leftist organizations and give a historical background. And then he would, uh, so that would be the first uh, chapter or so that would be maybe, uh, and for example, in volume one, I'm looking, opening it up, and there's the, uh, some of these groups, of course, are very much around American Civil Liberties Union the Roger Baldwin Foundation. Then you've got Americans for Democratic Action, the ADA, uh, Carnegie Corporation. Uh, so these groups are still around. Some of them are not as well known as they should be. Committee on Political Education, which I don't think is still around. Uh, Ford Foundation, which is still very much around. Uh, and note, he said, Far Le- Foreign Policy Association, Freedom House, and the Council on Foreign Relations, League for Industrial Democracy. So again, some of these groups are around, some are not, uh, but there's just great history here. And I do have a few sets left. If there's anyone interested, I can also make it available in a PDF format. If, um, if you're interested, just get a hold of us on our, on our um, website, campconstitution.net, or, our, um, or you can just direct, go to my Facebook page or go to Camp Constitution's Facebook page and say, yeah, I'd be interested in this. And... <clears throat> There's a lot of other good books. There's a lot of relatively new patriots into the movement, uh, and they're not familiar with these uh, sort of classics. They're not familiar with some of the things. That, and in fact, a lot of them, because they were mostly came from government schools, or not exclusively, but they think Joe McCarthy was a bad guy. They think Charles Lindbergh was a Nazi. They think Jacob Hoover was a horrible, horrible man. And they think John Adams was a bad man, you know, all these kinds of, uh, because of the, um, you know, the, uh, the, 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 some of the laws he signed into, um, he signed into uh, effect. Uh, but a lot of the, like, for example, this friend of mine said, oh, you get a picture of John Adams. Oh, the Alien Sedition Act, bad guy. I said, well, look, no question that it was an overreach, but do you understand why he did it? And he said, mm, well, did you know that there was an attempt to overthrow our government? back then and I said when is a human being most vulnerable and of course it's when that human being is very young or very old well when we were very young for a few years of our that's when the enemy said let's get this country let's bring it down and they don't know about the the uh, the Jacobin clubs and the risk what the risky rebellion was about and citizen Ganae they just know that John Adams must, must have been a bad guy the man who gave us the Declaration of Independence, are you kidding me? The man who, um, he wasn't a soldier, but he went over to uh, Europe to raise money. He borrowed money from the Dutch. My goodness, that's accomplishing itself. How can you say that? And all the things he did, he wrote when he was, he was taking a sabbatical. He wrote the Massachusetts State Constitution, well, most of it, in 1780, and a lot of that was almost copied verbatim to the U.S. Constitution. And because of a couple of laws which he really agonized over, you're going to dismiss everything else he's done. But that's what people do. Charles Lindbergh um, Jr. 
Now, of course, Sr. is not too well known, but Charles Lindbergh Sr., he's a guy that uh, was trying to stop the Fed. He wasn't successful, but he warned people about it. He was a statesman. And his son, the first aviator to, uh, to uh, fly uh, solo across the Atlantic Ocean, he was against uh, us getting into World War II. There were a lot of Americans that were against it. Franklin Roosevelt was against it. He said, we'll never send your, your sons off to fight a foreign war. Uh, but he did. So uh, the label of neo, pro-Nazi was on him. Well, he was known around the world. He was appreciated for what he did. And what was interesting is that in uh, the Germans, the Nazis uh, had invited him into Germany. And at that time, we still had diplomatic relations with Nazi Germany. So if he was a Nazi or pro-Nazi, you could say that everybody in the federal government was pro-Nazi up until that time. I think it was 38 when we broke off diplomatic relations. It may have been in the wake of the Kristallnacht. Uh, I'm not sure about that. I have to look into it. But when, Rose, when Lindbergh, Lindbergh went there, he had the approval of the State Department, unlike some, uh, some of these nitwits that go to Iran or North Korea on their own and, or um, like John Kerry you know, violating the Logan Act. But that's okay. He's a liberal Democrat. Get away with it. Or Sean Penn going to uh, Iraq to visit Saddam Hussein and or oh, the basketball player, what's his name, uh, Dennis Rodman going to North Korea trying to extend diplomatic relations. That's okay, you know. Uh, but when Charles Lindbergh, and Charles Lindbergh had access to things that the, the rest of Americans didn't. They were showing him everything. And he came and said, hey, Germany's preparing for war. You've got to be ready. You've got to understand this. And, of course, Roosevelt, that nasty Franklin Roosevelt, uh, you know, they, they smeared him, called him anti-Semitic. And, in fact, Charles Lindbergh addressed that. He said he understands why some Jewish Americans would want us to go to war. He understands that, but he doesn't think we should go to war. As soon as war was declared, all of the American first would be, uh, it shut down, and Lindbergh and many other, George Eggleston and others, said, we want to help. We want to be. We want to. Uh, we, we want to be involved in fighting uh, Germany and Japan. Uh, but, but most people don't know that there were some communists and some Nazis, American Nazis, in the American First, but it was a small amount. But you can't say that because it was a tiny amount. And as soon as Germany invaded Russia, bingo, the change overnight. You know, second front now. You know, that's what communists do. So there's a lot of great books out there that need to be rediscovered. Books like uh, anything by Gary Allen, for example. None Dare Call a Conspiracy, The Rockefeller File, the, the, I think was one called Kissinger. I don't know if it was called The Kissinger File, but a book about Henry Kissinger. And his articles, he wrote a monthly article for uh, the American Opinion Magazine, which was much more detailed than any of the books. The books he wrote were sort of just uh, primers. And Camp Constitution has uh, on our website, if you go to where it says downloads and then click on other downloads because it's stored at a separate site, uh, you can get all of the articles, just incredible stuff from, from the civil unrest to um, uh, morality. He talked, about, um, uh, he talked about men marrying men because he had access to it's stuff that the average American in the mainstream media weren't going to publish. Here it was in the early 70s. He's talking about the militant homosexuals are going to be calling for 
same-sex marriage. And most people thought that was insane. Even the most leftist person said, that's never going to happen. And look where we are today. So um, this, again, is a time not to panic. It's a time to um, uh, reach out to people uh, with the gospel message, the gospel of hope and salvation, but also um, uh, economically and politically. That it's a time for us to... Um, to reach out again, and uh, some good things may come out of this. As all, when there's a tragedy or disaster, things, there's bad things, but some good things come out of it. And let's just pray. And uh, Donald Trump uh, issued uh, had Sunday, which was uh, yesterday, a National Day of Prayer. Let's keep on praying and pray that uh, some good things will come out of this. Pray for our nation. Pray for the world, of course, and. Pray for Camp Constitution. Pray that our important mission of reaching out to people on the Constitution and the important issues of the day will not fall on deaf ears. So with that, we want to thank you. God bless you. And until next week, um, may God richly bless you and may he continually bless this great nation. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.